Good evening, everyone. We apologize for the late start. Um, we today is the um, February fifteenth, twenty twenty four, and this is our February regularly scheduled uh, board meeting. And if we can get roll call, please. Uh, before we do that, uh, our general counsel has an announcement. Oh, yeah, I had two commissioners contact me prior to the meeting um, explaining that they needed to participate remotely um, for the just cause provision that allows that in the Brown Act. Um, this uh, particular provision does not require a board vote, so I just have to give them a, um, a, a an opportunity to give a very general description of why they are participating remotely, and then roll can be called. Uh, I guess we'll start with uh, Commissioner Walker. Um, yes. Like our general counsel um, said, I'm using a just cause to care for my daughter this evening. And then also Commissioner Johnson contacted me. Yes, I'm concerned about a, a significant COVID exposure. So I'm just out of an abundance of caution, I'm trying to minimize my exposure to others. You can call roll, Amy. Thank you. Oh, Commissioner Kelly, did you? Yeah, you can vote. Yes, we'll comment, right? Okay, so roll call. Uh, Alpert. Present. <clears throat> um, Elkstrand? Here. Johnson? Present. Kelly? Here. Uh, Morero? Okay. Um, <clears throat> Martinak. Present. Mizell? Here. Walker? Here. Simon Weisberg? Here. We have a quorum. Great. Thank you so much. Um, at this time, we are going to um, hold a closed session pursuant to California Government Code Section 54957B1. The board will convene in closed session for a public employee evaluation of performance of our executive director. And we'll be back. All right, um, we are now back from closed session um, and I have no reportable, we took no reportable actions. Um, if we can move to the land acknowledgement, please. The Berkeley Rent Stabilization Board recognizes that the rental housing units we regulate are built on the territory of the Huchiung, the ancestral and unceded land of the Chochenyo-speaking Ohlone people, the ancestors and descendants of the sovereign Verona Band of Alameda County. This land was and continues to be of great importance to all of the Ohlone tribes and descendants of the Verona Band. As we begin our meeting tonight, we acknowledge and honor the original inhabitants of Berkeley, the documented 5,000-year history of a vibrant community at the West Berkeley Shell Mound, and the Ohlone people who continue to reside in the East Bay. We recognize that Berkeley's landlords and tenants have and continue to benefit from the use and occupation of this unceded stolen land since the city of Berkeley's incorporation in 1878, and since the Rent Stabilization Board's creation in 1980. As stewards of the laws regulating rental housing, it is not only vital that we recognize the history of this land, but also recognize that the Ohlone people are present members of Berkeley and other East Bay communities today. 
Um, I'd like to now move to approve the agenda. Does anyone have any changes or any motions? I'll move approval of the agenda. Okay, can I get a second? I'll right, second. We, um, I guess we need to do roll call since we have people absent. Okay, um, I didn't hear who the second was. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> okay, approving the agenda as written. Albert? Aye. Elkstrand? Yes. Johnson? Yes. Commissioner Johnson? Uh, yes, can you hear me? Uh, I'll come back to you. It looks like you're talking, but we can't hear you. Uh, Kelly? Aye. Marrero is absent. Martinak? Yes. Mizell? Yes. Walker? Yes. Commissioner Walker? Yes. I don't think they can hear us. Mm. Yeah, I think that I think you're right. Dominique. Commissioner Walker, can you hear me? If you can, can you give me a thumbs up? You can. Okay. All right. Give me a second. Commissioner Walker, can you just make sure that your showing is muted on my end? Can you unmute? Can you hear me now? Now she's, she's talking. She's talking. Yep. It seems on your screen looks like it's there's something muted. On my screen, she's unmuted. Um, but on the she, bottom. Yeah, yours. Sorry, what what where what are you referring to? Uh, I think maybe we're not getting the the audio from the Zoom into this room. And so she's speaking, she's unmuted, but we're not hearing it. So right, no, I understand that. But someone, I thought someone was referring to something on the bottom of the screen. Well, there's an oh, exclamation oh, mark. Oh, yeah, that's 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 by um, that's by design. We because we okay. mute Zoom, so, so we're getting audio from the room. Okay. Do so, we have five votes so far? We do. Do you want me to just? Yeah. Go let's back? just keep moving on these. Okay. Um, I'm going to assume that this is affecting Commissioner Johnson as well. Um, so. Uh, we are on to Simon Weisberg. Yes. Okay. So motion carries. Okay. So then um, we're going to move to public comment, but I'm concerned that we won't be able to hear them if anyone has their hand raised. So let's see Correct. if anyone raises their hand for public comment. Yes, we have one. Okay. Um, well, let's see if we can, if it works. Okay. Krista, um, go ahead when you're ready. This is Krista. Can you hear me? She's speaking okay. as well. It's not working. Okay. Yeah, it's you guys that can't hear us. Everybody in the Zoom room. I'm speaking. Right, right. So I'm going to just pause the meeting and go back and try and figure this out. You want me to log into the room on my laptop? I could. I'm, I'm, I am logged into the Zoom on the laptop. Um, just... I don't want to try and tr troubleshoot this in the middle of a live meeting, so I'm going to need a recess in order to, to resolve this. I'm just wondering if we can try that. Sure. Do you want to? Some anybody on on Zoom? It just may be faster. Um, Krista, just bear with us. Yeah, no problem. Can you see? We can hear um, the the speaker if we can hear Renee. When he tries to speak, what's that? I know it's going to be a problem too. I think. Yes. 
Do you want me to, I'm, I'm speaking now. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. No, I don't think they can. You, we can hear each other, but they can't hear us in the room. That's right. So I, I know I can, I've heard exactly yeah, I've heard yeah, all of them. I heard conditional Is that going to echo? Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. not going to work. What if you don't? Oh, I can mute myself. Yeah, just yeah. mute yourself because we should be getting out of Can you folks hear us? Yeah. This is Renee. That. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but I need to make sure that BCM is not going to get transmitted on the slides. But it doesn't matter. They can hear us. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, as a point of privilege, I, I think we should try to fix the audio and not use the laptop, even if it takes five to 10 minutes. This has been a problem at council, room board. I understand, but maybe we can just do public comment. Um, Ms. Goldbrunson, can we can hear you and we understand that the pub, the anyone who's listening in can hear us. Could you go ahead and, and make your public comment while we're yeah, trying to figure I, it out before the presenter? actually didn't have anything i was just helping out because all of us in the audience we, we okay thank you so much i was just helping out there no comments right. now bcm's executive director come back he troubleshoot troubleshot an issue earlier with the busd's it director so um and it was working fine so we don't have an issue it doesn't matter recess because how long does it take? The other, the other thing I can try is doing what I just did because we can discuss things with our but I can, and I can also call the USD's IT director, but and can't do that while I'm running the meeting. So if we could take a 10 minute recess, so I can, I can at least give you an estimate of when this meeting is all. Um, is there someone else that can call IT? Can any of the others? No. I guess what I would like to do is um, do the consent and um, I don't think there's anything else that we have to, oh, we have the other stuff, yeah. But everybody can hear us, right? So it's really just the presentations through Zoom that aren't working. No, we only, we only have to do it at the beginning, which we just did. Um. I mean, US, this is the USG equipment, and their their director did tell me that I could call. Well, I think you can call, but I, I want to keep. Um, executive director, um, is there some way that someone can, can continue doing the meeting while we try and, because we continue the meeting as it is for everything except for the presentation. Well, it's just that it's hard for her to do both contact IT and work with them and be running the meeting. Is there any, does anybody else know how to do this? 
No, it, yeah. it's just that she can't, we can't hear any of the presentations. I'd like to continue with the meeting because it's really late. I guess how there an alternative for me doing it is that am I sitting in your stead? There's no, no, no. She needs to call IT to try and figure out what the issue or, is. Or the executive director can call IT. Um, but I, you know. I can do that. Okay. What, okay. What's that? What's calling it? With the... Come on over. Motion to adjourn. I'm yes. motion to take a recess. Please. Thank you. <laughs> no, he's doing it over my objection. I'm saying I don't want to recess. I want us to keep going forward. Second. That's okay. We're, we're just going to call Max. But thank you. Thank you for reaching out. Okay. It was working fine. I know. Okay. Well, that's yeah. So how do you set up? That's a conversation we need to have for later. We we did that earlier today. So um, it's the problem is no. No, I appreciate that. I mean, that is what I was trying to figure out. Is what's the concern? The only thing we can do is the So I'm sorry, Chair, are we taking a vote on a motion to adjourn or is that, I'm sorry, a, a motion to, to recess? Oh, we are taking a recess. Okay, great. Yeah, to the audience, I'm sure. 
It's been very pretty presentation. Yeah. The problem is that you put your yeah, and we can continue the thing from Renee. That's fine. That's what I mean. But it's but but we can't like we, we can't hear votes from the hear it. I understand. Yeah. I'm saying if you hey, save time. Language, oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah no 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 it's not it's not we can do that for sure. Oh yeah no I, yes. oh, I thought you're talking about yeah, yeah for timing reasons. Okay. Um. I'm, We're gonna continue that one. Yes. And what were saying about how you're talking about control? Good evening, commissioners. You can hear me. Good evening. Okay, so tonight I'm going to present on the empty homes tax and explain a little bit about the implementation and just how um, the the rent board is helping and with our vacant unit data and what that looks like, so you can all can understand how this is impacting property owners and just kind of the implementation process. So empty homes taxes, BMC 7.54, yeah, it's effective or became effective on January 1st of 2024 this year. It applies to residential units. Oh, Amy, can you um, move to the next slide? <laughs> One second, but I can just go over. Um, <laughs> So one key point is the empty tax ordinance defines vacant as unoccupied, uninhabited, or unused for more than 182 days, whether consecutive or not or non-consecutive in a calendar year. So 182 days is approximately six months. So basically half the calendar year, you'd have to have a vacancy. Oh, next slide, Amy. There are two property-based exemptions. Um, one is if it's owned by a nonprofit, then either, even if there are vacant units, they are not taxed. The other is for properties that contain four or fewer residential units, um, in, including ADUs. And if that property is owned by a natural person or trust, and they own no, no other residential units, and it's owner-occupied. So owner-occupied properties, but they they can't own like one duplex and then a single-family home. It has to be four units in total in one or or less in one property in Berkeley. So the more com complicated part of the ordinance is the vacancy exclusion period. So there are seven vacancy exclusion periods where you can have a vacant unit, and it's so basically an excuse for having a vacancy where you would not be taxed. Um, but what that means is that that day, a vacancy that falls into one of these exclusion periods, which I'll go over, does not count towards the 182 days. So the... Starting at the top, the building permit application period is fairly simple. If you apply for a, a permit, um, then you, one year from that filing date, you would you would 
um, qualify for a vacancy exclusion. Now that is the first permit for the unit. So if there are multiple permits, it will be the very first permit. Rehabil rehabilitation period follows that. That's when a permit is issued. So then you would have two years um, where you would be excluded from the tax um, from the issuing state just to give you time to complete the work. And again, that's for the first permit in the unit. The third one is the disaster period. That is two years from the date a unit was made uninhabitable due to a disaster such as a fire, um, earthquake, et cetera. The third is the owner death period. Um, this is for owner occupants. So if the owner occupant died, then um, I'm just checking how long that is. Then that would be a two year um, exemption. Well, that exemption would not exceed two years. So it could be vacant, but not exceeding two, two years or for as long as that property is in probate court or under the control of the probate court. Then we have the owner care period. Similarly, an owner occupant who was taken to hospital or some sort of um, supportive care that would qualify as one of the vacancy exclusion periods. Finally, we have the home or no, the second to last is the homeowner's exemption period. This is a simple one where it's a vacant unit, but it's still the owner's principal place of residence. They are still claiming a homeowner's exemption. Um, so it's their it's their principal place of residence, but they're vacant. The the unit is vacant. And then the lease period is for a vacant unit that has a contract for a lease. So basically the period between the tenants move in and after the lease has started, this cannot be an owner or co-owner's relative, um, family member. It has to be a bona fide rental with a third party. So those are the seven vacancy exclusion periods in the ordinance. Uh, okay. So rent board vacancy data, just to go over um, what we have in our system. So the rent stabilization ordinance applies to units that are rented or available to, for rent. So as if you think about the typical student rental, as that turns over to the next student, and if there's a vacancy for a month or two weeks, that's still considered rented or available for rent, and that is registered under our ordinance. That is not something that vacancy is not something we track. We track not available for rent, which is more of a longer term vacancy that this is an exemption from registration. Often owners would, would apply for this when they had a longer term remodel and they couldn't rent the unit or they simply had no intention of renting the unit or there were code violations and they couldn't rent the unit. Those are often things that fall into the NAR category and are exempt and they don't pay a registration fee because they're literally not renting. So those are the, the kind of longer term vacancy that we have in our database. So as of earlier this month, we had 1,312 or 1,312 units in the NAR status. Next. 
So this is a breakdown of that data by um, property size, single family home condos, duplex. Um, this was included in the report. And just a correction, I had uh, the total properties column labeled as total units, but that first column is actually total properties in the attachment. And you can see the vacancy rate of the, or the long-term not available for rent rate for the different property types. Uh, the largest vacancy rate is in duplexes and three to four unit properties. Hmm. And this definitely doesn't cover all units in Berkeley. For example, there are over 20,000 single family homes, but in our database, we have um, nearly 8,000. Next. So, so far we've done an initial outreach effort. We've sent all these letters, uh, sorry, we sent owners of all these NAR pro properties or units um, and in information about the empty homes tax that was included in your packet. And um, we've created an email and a an extension that people, public can reach for questions about the empty homes tax. Since January, when the letter hit doors, we've had over 80 contacts, mostly from owners, um, some property managers, uh, just trying to clarify, mostly trying to clarify their why they got the letter, um, up, trying to update their registration status. We've had a lot of people with NAR units who are now either rented or um, being used by a family member. Um, some that have been removed with permits. So there's just there's been a little cleanup effort for these, mostly for these 80 plus owners. Some have just had questions about exemptions or the vacancy exclusion periods. So the I've been working on a website and guidelines um, that is almost finalized. I think I'll have it for distribution internally um, next week. And given that we're moving the following week, I anticipate it'll be launched in March now. Yep. So, so we're still working with finance to finalize internal processes, particularly we're um, around a potential appeal process. As I mentioned, we have to publish the website and the guidelines. And then throughout these first six months and throughout the registration period, we'll be monitoring and reviewing the vacant units. Um, once we've really established those that are, are vacant, um, staff would like to do site visits before um, sending those to finance, because we really want to make sure the status is vacant, um, particularly in the larger buildings. Where, there's some properties that have a, a whole bunch of vacancy. If there's one vacant unit in a large apartment building, that's going to be tougher to verify through, you know, visiting the site. Um, and then as, as things come up in questions, there's been a lot of interesting situations such as um, kind of a, a professor who's working in a different country for three years and is their property really vacant or is that still their principal place of residence? We've had different, you know, questions about um, tox toxic issues that are preventing rental and rental units that are on the market, but people won't rent. So it, um, if there's anything that comes up that needs to be addressed through admin regs, we will do so. Great, so, thank you. Yep. Uh, any questions, colleagues? Yes. 
Um, thank you. No problem. It's this is really helpful. Um, two questions, maybe three. One is, if you say that um, like a duplex is vacant, it means one or more. It could be when a number of duplexes that are vacant, it could be one unit in the duplex or both. Or is that the total number of units that are contained within a duplex? Did I make any sense? I yeah, I think that made sense. Wait, so. I believe the numbers, as I understand it, are the total number of units that are within duplexes, but not necessarily whether they're both vacant, one might be vacant. I can get clarification for that later. That's just a question that I don't understand from the graph. Mm -hmm. And then it's it's fine if you don't have that in front of you. I'm sure you don't have all of your materials other than the graph. Sorry, could you repeat the first question again? If it's it says 96, right? For the duplexes, is that 96 duplexes have a vacancy? Or is that okay? So the that the ninety six is the SFR condo. Um, the duplex has two fifty vacant units. Right. So um, you know what I meant to ask is it two hundred and fifty duplexes, or is it two hundred and fifty units within duplexes? Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very helpful. I had asked for this previously, and I thank you for adding the percent of the type of unit. That's such a helpful way of making that accessible for everyone. My other question is, it mentions that there's a 3.2% um, not available to rent. Is that considered healthy or normal or typical? Is that higher or lower than we're used to expecting? Or do we have any kind of context on that? I mean, the, the only data I've seen on that is from the census and the American Community Survey, and perhaps from our tenant survey. I'd have to double check. Um, how, but I think two to three percent is pretty is pretty normal. Um, Thank you. Just in terms of that specific statistic, I think this was something that came up a lot during the debate around the vacancy tax itself, which is that there's two different kinds of vacancy, right? There's a there's a vacancy rate, and well, a lot of times when we talk about a healthy vacancy rates so or things like that, you're talking about a vacancy rate which is a unit is left vacant as someone moves out and waiting for someone else right. to move in. Are not available for rent units aren't those kind of vacancies oftentimes. There are vacancies that are long-term and not between leases. And so not available for rent vacancies would, I mean, obviously sometimes you're going to have retrofit and sometimes you're going to have- oh, No, I understand why they're NAR. I'm just asking like, is that, is that what, do we, do we know the averages over the last 10 years or what it tends to be if that's in the range or if it's higher? I don't think there's as much data about like healthy, not available for rent vacancy rate as there is like between terms vacancy. Right. But was it 3.2% last year and the year before? I mean, we've had the NRA rate for that. We've had the NAR rate for many years, right? That's not new from the vacancy tax. That's from our database. I don't need to know that now. I'd just be curious yeah. to see like what it was. what the Yeah, to see if there's been an increase or decrease. I think that that's makes what sense. I'm trying to get. Yeah. No, I mean, we do have some historical data where I could look at that. I mean, one of the things that's going to skew it is once we added measure MM, we added more units to our database. But I could sure. definitely look because we have good data, um, you know, before 2020 that we could do a comparison with yeah that would just be helpful as just a contextual yeah. point but, thank but, you and i just i think vice chair alport makes a good point because the vacancy data in like the census is probably that 
you know, fast or quick tenant turnover vacancy where this is long term and some of these buildings probably didn't answer the census question. So this is almost like another universe, um, if that makes sense. Because right. I would yeah. think it would be safe to assume that unless something very illegal is happening, that none of these units would have answered the census. Right. I mean, they're, they've legally stated yeah. that they are unavailable. to. Yeah, them. but more like none of these properties may have answered or some, uh, some may have. Yes. It's more the question, of course, the vacant unit wouldn't, but did the owner or the tenants in that property? Answer? Okay, thank you so much. It does seem like it would be helpful to know. I mean, at least it's a way for us to monitor if this is having the effect that we're hoping for, which is people will start renting out more units. So yeah. I think it's, it's a good thing to to be monitoring. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know, maybe this is a really dumb question, but I was just wondering if there's a way to really know um, whether it's a short-term vacancy versus not available for rent. What if somebody's paying fees and just keeping it empty, not not advertising, not renting it out for whatever reason? I mean, this is a question we actually got earlier this week from a member of the public, and we've had some discussions of other ways aside from our database to verify this. For example, we've got one complaint from a neighbor of a property, hey, this is vacant. So that's one way. I mean, it would be great if we could have access to like utility data or like, you know, is this, is the use claimed in the, um, in our database reflected in the actual data that we could get about the property. So that, that's another thing that, that we've thought about. Um, but as for now, we're really going to focus on, because some of I mean, I remember looking at vacant units like over 10 years ago, and I, some of these properties are still, you know, so th those seem really like the low hanging fruit. But then, you know, as the public also asks, like, what are you going to do about the ones who may be misleading you or have the wrong, st the wrong status in our database? Um, so, you know, obviously, if somebody knows about it, what we're happy to investigate. Okay, I just want to add a little bit to that, um, the enhanced data. Base that I spoke about earlier will be a good um, added um, data to what we don't have currently, and that is in the works and will be presented to you all very soon. Okay, thank you. Uh, any other questions or comments? Yes. Um, do we have any data or indication to explain why um, why these units are not available for rent? Is it because they're under renovation or is there a habitability issue? Do, do we have any information on, on that? That's the type of information we'll be gathering. And then once we get the vacancy exclusion period claims, we'll have more data on that. I can tell you anecdotally, I've heard of, you know, I've heard found foundation work has to be done before we can rent it. I've heard the that there's one building on university that I knew about from previous demolition attempts where there's some toxic issue and the owner wants to rent it, but no tenant will rent it because the air is not clean and they need to clean that up. Um, so that is something we will monitor. And once we have the requests come in, I can provide you with, you know, this is how many ones, you know, have building permits and are have requested so and i i'll make notes as these requests come in to provide some more data and context in the future good to know thank you great 
Do you want to go and then did you have another question? Okay. Oh, sorry, just another one. <laughs> is there some program in the city that is there some help to small home uh, small landlords who need um help with funding repairs before they can rent? Like they, they can't afford to fix the place in order to rent it. I know there have been programs like that in the past, but some were focused on retrofit and also um, was like, like energy efficiency upgrades. Um, so I'll have to check on that, um, but I can see for some owners that will be an issue. So definitely a good thing to look into and bring up. Um, Alfred and then Kelly. Yeah, just briefly, I'm really excited. <laughs> um, you know, I helped write the vacancy tax with Councilmember Harrison. Um, and uh, I think one of the things that I didn't really realize at the time was just how good this would be for the rent boards. I think we did, we did discuss this, but I don't think it's significantly how good this will be for the rent boards data and compliance that, you know, one of our, one of the biggest loopholes with the rent board, not even a loophole. One of the biggest issues is the landlord says, Oh, there's no one living here. It can be very difficult without as much active compliance as we want to go and say, well, is there, and now it's, well, okay. If no one's living there, then you're going to pay a tax. And so this, this is a win, win, win. And I'm really excited to about the work that we're doing and I'm really happy. And thank you so much. Uh, Commissioner Kai. Yeah, I just wanted to say I think I'd be remiss in having a discussion of this without acknowledging the leadership of Councilmember Harrison and pushing this forward, um, but also with what Commissioner Commissioner Martinak asked about for the loans. I think that right now we're in like a data collection period, right? We put the vacancy tax, the city put the vacancy tax in place. Now we're administering it. We we know the number because we've always known part of the number. And what we're trying to do now is get the information that's going to be processed. So once we have all these letters back and have the, then we'll have like another table that explains all the data we're looking for. And at that point, I think it'd be very appropriate for Lyra or one of our other policy committees to have a discussion about that, have a board discussion. But, you know, it's outside of our authority, clearly to issue like a 0% loan program, but suggesting to council or looking at what other municipalities do, because the reality is there's certainly some of these properties that people would like to rent out if they could. I mean, I know of, I know of at least two. And if I know of two, then there must be more than two. <laughs> so I think that's a very valid request. I think we're going to find out a lot of these are not that case. But, you know, and, and there are also a lot of programs that are for homeowners who are lower income, but, you know, there is kind of a gap between, you know, you inherit a property, it was maybe fine when your grandmother was living there, unfortunately she passed away and you inherit it and you might have to pay the higher property taxes, you might not have the contractor or the wherewithal. And so part of why when we wrote the exemptions for this, we put in that two-year period and all that was to allow for that. But then after that, folks could still need an assistance. And this vacancy tax, I think, will be very effective at motivating people who just haven't gotten to it or might not want to rent because they were taking a tax write-off for some other reason. But for people with like a legitimate, I'm not saying like a legal, but like a legit, like an understandable challenge in renting it, the ordinance does not address that, but it will give us the policy information we finally need to recommend to the council or to other agencies 
actions that they could take to address it, which I think will be really powerful. Great, thank you. Thank you. All right, if there aren't any other questions, uh, thank you so much. You. And um, you're dismissed, you may go home. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, we should have changed the order so you could. Uh... Anyway, we're gonna zoom through these. Um, uh, Chair, yes, I just wanted to remind uh, folks that we need to go back to public comment. Um, because we had we had a member that had raised their hand, but they were inaudible. She uh, didn't want. She was just trying to be helpful. That's what she told. Well, me. We can do it again anyway. Uh, well, Is there, there anybody in public comment that would like to speak? So, someone else has their hand raised. So okay, do you want to go back to that item? All right. Uh, let me just display the timer. Can you please ask to be? You're not the governor. <laughs> hmm. This is not my day. <laughs> Um, yeah, now our timer doesn't want to display. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and time them here All right. in, the, in the boardroom. Okay. Um, Berkeley Neighborhoods, go ahead when you're ready. Hi there, this is Paola Laverde. Um, thank you so much for this information on the now available to rent units. This is when I was a rentport commissioner. This was one of my um, little pet things to be looking to see because, you know, um, 1915 Delaware Street, uh, it's a, a, what is it, a 10 unit building that's been empty now for 17 years. And um, and I so full throatedly uh, supported the vacancy tax and 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 Councilmember Harrison's effort to put on to put this on the ballot. Um, I am in one of those people who lives in an eight-unit building, and um, three units have been empty for as long as I've been living here, about seven years now. Um, unfortunately, I can't really see what uh, the status is of, of these two units, because when I go to the website, I cannot find or it's not available yet for one to be able to uh, see what the, your, your, I'm forgetting the terms, but what your, um, your top rent is. Because so I hopefully that the, the the website on the rent board will be fixed so that tenants like me can see if this unit is available for rent or not, the units in my building. But I do appreciate the work and the staff. I'm so thrilled that this information is coming up. And I look forward to seeing more information about these vacant units. And thank you for everything everybody does. Thanks. Great, thank you. Uh, do we have any other um, people want to speak for public comment? Uh, no one else has raised their hand. All right, then um, we're gonna move to consent. Um, I would invite any motions. I move to approve the consent calendar. Thank you. Second. I'm oh, sorry, who was the second? Thank you. Uh, Kelly and Albert. Hi, um, <clears throat> Albert. Hi. Elkstrand. Yes. Johnson. Yes. Yay, we can hear you. <laughs> Kelly. Yes. Uh, Commissioner Marrero is not with us. Martinak. Yes. Mizell. Yes. Walker. Yes. Hear you as well. And Simon Weisberg. Yes. Motion carries 8001. Great. Uh, we are now going to move to the um, action items. Uh, the first is the chair update. 
um, if anybody has any um, feedback on the um, committee assignments. Um, I thought that it was the process now that people need to vote on it. Is that not right? Yeah. So folks need to vote affirmatively on the assignments that were included. Yes. I thank the chair for her leadership in putting together excellent committee assignments and motion to approve. Thank you. Second. That was Alpert. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, adopting committee assignments as written. Alpert. Aye. Elkstrand. Yes. Johnson. Yes. Kelly. Yes. Uh, Martinak. Yes. Mizell. Yes. Walker. Yes. Simon Weisberg. Yes. Motion carries 8001. Great. Uh, we're now going to move to the presentation of the status of the City of Berkeley demolition ordinance. Probably didn't need to leave. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's on. So I was asked to go through an updated version of the presentation I gave in December. I was just curious if there's any areas um, the board would like me to focus on more or if I should just, you know, emphasize the same points as last time. I think that what um, we wanted to understand is that there are different stages in which projects can be. And that our understanding was that there was some updates. There were some additional um, projects. If if you can tell us about the additional projects and what's being proposed, and then if any of the projects have shifted, because I think one of the things that we really want to pay attention to is it it seems that they start out complying with the one for one, and through the process we lose them. If if that's the case, we want to because I feel like if we just say oh well, they've started this and it's everything's hunky dory and we stop paying attention, that that's not an adequate way of monitoring it. Um, that's for me, but I don't know if other folks, um, want more information about how the process works. I agree with the chair and I think that having a process, whatever it is, is helpful because it is unfortunately until there's some more substantive policy shift at the city to really prevent what's been happening. It's. You're just right that we need to understand how we're making sure that we are periodically checking in on this so that it doesn't become an issue. And I guess my hope is just to highlight where things are at and if there's been any shift since I guess two months ago is when you mm -hmm. gave the well, it was in December. Has there been anything changing? Are there any um, developments that we need we should be concerned about that that they don't have one for one, and we can do some advocacy to because it seems like all it does is. To, Talking to the developers and they'll do it. Okay. Um, do, do you all want me to go through the SB 330 and kind of that whole part of it and why um, the state allows these applications not to do one for one? I feel like I understood all of that. I think mm -hmm. that it's the, um, I guess if, if there's any information about, because you haven't since you were last presented, there's like a final version now, another version mm -hmm. of the ordinance. So I think people would be interested in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
We can keep let talking me, about it and take longer than doing it. Yeah, no, let me get started. No. Okay, Amy, you can go to the next slide. So this, this is data on all the demolition applications that have come in since 2022, everything that came in since SB 330 um, and SB, is it nine, are part of the law, a part of state law. So this update has been updated. This table has been updated with two new projects that have come in since the December presentation. Um, and just, it looks at the total. So in the ZAB approved projects, we have 30 existing units where they're losing six, the application complete. Um, one of the new application is actually proposing um, to replace two existing units without BMR replacements, and I'll go over that. And then, oh no, sorry, that's application complete. I'm, I'm thinking of under review. So there's two, there's a loss of two BMR um, rent controlled or rent controlled units or residential units that are not being replaced fully with BMR. And then under review, we would gain more BMR units, a total of 43. And then in pre-application, which is before the use permit is even submitted, we have 12 existing units that are proposed being replaced with 16 units. So the two new projects are one at 2733 San Pablo. Um, these are on the, the project list um, attached in part of the board packet. That is a mixed-use building with two residential units under rent control, had tenants that were bought out, and they are proposing to replace those, um, I think it's with 16 BMR units. Um, it, it's, in the, it's in the sheet. I just have to look at it. And then the other one that just came up is a golden duplex um, that has not had any tenants in recent years. So since it's not under rent control as a fully exempt golden duplex, it is not a um, protected unit under SB 330. So that one, because of that, is being proposed to be replaced with two regular market units. So, so that's one thing I did want to point out the data. There's things that are under rent control. There are things that could be under rent control if rented and not exempt. Two of the projects um, were not protected units because they hadn't had any tenants in the last five years that were under rent control. And this one is in a golden duplex, which has never been under rent control. So I just wanted to point that out, that this is not, these projects include the elimination of residential units that are not under rent control within the last five years and therefore not protected units. That's not the only criteria. If you had a golden duplex and you rented to a low-income tenant, you would still be a protected unit. Um, but we looked into this property and they were only renting to family members um, as far as all the data in our investigation came up. Can I ask a question on what you just said? Was that in reference to the golden duplex? That was, yeah. And is the owner um, presently occupying it? No, the owner is not presently occupying. They were occupying, and now it's vacant and being prepared for demolition. When was the last time the owner lived in it? I think I would just be making up. I think it was recently, but not the past two years. And then, I mean, I guess this is one of the 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 you know the problems I have with 
the way this is happening, and this came up recently around this idea that we don't consider like this five-year look back. Will that change under the new demolition ordinance? The demolition ordinance says any residential unit. Um, the, with the new changes. Yeah. Okay. And, but then it also says unpermitted demo, uh, dem, sorry, unpermitted residential units that have been registered within the last five years. So it still has those last five years, but that only is for unpermitted units, which is an improvement from the current ordinance because it does not address unpermitted at all. So if something was ever, uh, that something that is rent controlled, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be registered. It's just is or it isn't under the new, the I new would, language. I would say you'd look, is it a permitted unit? You'd look at, it's a residential unit. If it's unpermitted, then you look at registered is how, I'm reading the current proposal that we last saw. So then they, a golden duplex in the future will not be a golden duplex. It will be residential. And so they will have to replace it. Yeah, that's my reading. I mean, of course, we want to see the final version that's approved by council. And as you um, recall, Chair Planning, we're going to come back with some modifications based on uh, some suggestions that our, that rent board staff and you suggest gave to the planning commission, which they were open to, but then final language still needs to come from planning and the city attorneys. So we will look at that closely, but the, everything that the planning commission passed sounded good on the surface. Okay. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Commissioner Kelly. If I miss something and I need an offline explanation, that's fine. I just don't understand how, I don't understand the phrase a golden duplex that was occupied two years ago. Golden duplexes, to my understanding, are yeah. either owner-occupied or they aren't golden Yeah, duplexes. so there's two things. We look in our database because nobody's updated it. It still shows golden, even though the owner doesn't currently live there. So technically, no, it doesn't meet the qualifications from golden, but um, it has also not been rented or under rent control in the last five years, which is the protected... Um, so they've had no tenants and we've never had it registered in our system with tenants. Well, I mean, it's changing. So I almost feel like this isn't important, but I think it is important that this is changed. So if I'm going too far, let me know. But my understanding of this ordinance having worked on it is that you don't have to be registered to be rent controlled and you don't have to be rented to be rent controlled. And so if, if you, if an owner of a golden duplex on January 1st, 2022 moves out on January 2nd, 2022, that property is a rent controlled property, whether or not it is registered does not mean it is not a rent controlled property. And so I mean, there's, there is no, the carry the language of golden duplexes in the ordinance is is a current status in time. There is no fluctuation. Mr. Kelly, I think unfortunately it's not the case that some the REM board has been actually I'm I'll let council explain it. It's unclear to me whether it's our interpretation or it has to do with the language in the present demolition ordinance because I if think, you want to clarify. Sorry, before you do that, do you want to talk about the five year protected status as it exists in SB 330? I don't think that's what's confusing. I think what's confusing 
is, and I think what people, and this is what I was struggling with, and I think what Commissioner Kelly, it's not intuitive that it's like things are either rent controlled or they're not based on the definitions in our ordinance. So is it when we say that it's this five-year look back that the city is using, there is, seems to be some disconnect between that the, the property had to be registered for the city. Like we lost the, out of those 13 units, that minus six is because the property was empty for 10 years. So the somebody, and this is why, what the question I think is, says, okay, if in the last five years it wasn't registered and wasn't rented, it's somehow not um, protected. And I believe that that has something to do with the definition of registered or something. So I think that's the piece we're missing. No, I mean, I, that's why I want, so I, 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 I think. What does it mean to be rent, to be rent controlled in Berkeley, I guess is our first question. Like why, who cares if it wasn't five years ago or 10 years ago, it's, it's still rent controlled property. So that's what we're struggling with is why it's that not, why is that not enough to make these protected? So the protected part comes, and I'd just like you to describe what SB 330 says about the five-year rule. Okay, so the protected unit under SB 330 um, includes if the, the unit has been subject to a local rent control ordinance within the past five years, also if it's been rented to a low-income low tenant. Right, so the the... The issue about rent control or not, we don't apply controls until something is actually rented. So the ordinance says rented or available for rent. So if something is not rented, then we don't consider it. I mean, we consider it con capable of being controlled, but not necessarily controlled at that time. We don't charge a fee. Yeah, but that's for the registration. Correct. If I'm a land, I'm, if this needs to not be this conversation and I can ask it at another committee, I'm fine with that. I mean, this some activists put this on the ballot to get rid of golden duplexes. This is going to go back to council and language might change as long as we're looking at this. But I'm just a little confused about the general principle. If I'm a landlord and I have a property that's supposed to be rent controlled and I don't register it and pay a fee, that changes nothing about whether or not a tenant is subject to rent control, a tenancy. You're saying if the tenancy exists. Right. Absolutely right, yes. A golden duplex is only exempt from controls by the virtue of being owner-occupied. If if that then- Or if it's it. used for something else, which I understood from what Leaf said, this was not rented. Mm -hmm. But not being rented doesn't make it a golden duplex by the ordinance requires a golden duplex to be active to have a 50% plus one owner living on site. So the properties that are eligible to be an active golden duplex, but it only is the case if an owner who has a 50% or more majority stake in the property is currently residing on the property. The day after they leave, it is the same as any other duplex. So I just don't understand why there's a different standard in the demolition ordinance for something that would be a golden duplex that's not a golden duplex and a regular duplex. Because it is a regular duplex, 
like the golden duplex isn't a legal status. It's an affirmative exemption to an effort to, it's not, it, 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 it's, an, it's an excuse letter. It's not a state of being. The property is either occupied by an owner and as such exempt from regulation or is not occupied by an owner. And there, there's no, there's no phase out or phase in period. And that, that's just why I'm confused. Can I ask a question? If does the, are we going to have this problem if the ordinance, as we are hoping they apply it, and the changes we've made in the ballot, is it going to be an issue? Is it addressed? Or are we going to be here? Am I going to be in the audience in December as a civilian um, mad because we're losing more, more units because they are keeping them empty? I think the five year, I think, I, I, I think that we should talk a little bit more about what the five year rule is and the way. The no, I think we just want an answer. I don't think we want an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, pause. The, the, I think what we're trying to make sure if a landlord of a big rent controlled property takes all the units offline and keeps them vacant for six years. I don't care, right? It's still, it's still a rent-controlled building. If they then demolish that building, they should not be able to say, well, it's not rent-controlled because it's been vacant for five, more than five years because I, in my infinite wisdom, decided to keep it vacant. So the question is, I don't care about the five-year look back. The question is, if the ordinance is amended as is proposed on the ballot and the changes go through as the council has proposed, and there is a building that has been vacant for six years, but was rent controlled, is eligible for rent control, will all those units be replaced? That's the question. So, I mean, this goes back to um, the demolition ordinance as it's morphed in the past. We had this issue that Commissioner Kelly is bringing up and the, the city disagreed with us. We said, well, if, it, if, if rented, it could be under rent control, therefore it is rent controlled. They said, your ordinance says, first you look, is it rented or available for rent? That's the first question. If not, the ordinance doesn't apply. You don't even get to golden duplex because that is, yes, it's rent available, but the owner lives in another unit, therefore it's exempt. So they asked that first question. We, the council, sorry, not we, the council um, changed the ordinance to say any any two unit property built before 1980. So we didn't have to answer this question because it's any two unit property built before 1980, which is most rent controlled units. The current proposal changes it to residential unit. So in the scenario Vice Chair Alpert brings up, those are still residential units. The rent control history doesn't matter unless it's an unpermitted unit. So is the answer we're okay? I say the answer for the current version from my reading is that we're okay. Because any residential unit that is permit has the protections. But then again, we need to see the final version. Right. Well, yeah, we can't hold you to what we don't haven't seen yet. But I the fact that we just filed the the ordinance and for it not to be clear that we did what we need to do is, you know. Okay, um, are we satisfied no, for what we need to I'm satisfied with that answer. I realized that maybe my, and, I, and there was not a Brown Act issue because this isn't before, so having an offline conversation to understand better is fine. 
but um, just so long as we're looking at that, because not only do I think it should be and is, is, I think is, I don't agree with the history, protected, but I just also want to make sure, like, whatever the, the community decides to do about the ballot measure, which was, you know, whether or not the community decides they want to get rid of golden duplexes, whatever happens there, I think one of the really big issues with golden duplexes, however people feel about that policy issue, is the uncertainty. It's an uncertainty for tenants. It's an uncertainty for homeowners. It's a confused, it's, it's hard for staff to look at things. I just want to make sure that whatever happens and this ordinance gets adopted, that it's it's not a confusion when we go to try to make sure that if a rent-controlled unit is lost, that it's replaced. I just don't want to go through another set of those issues. And I think staff's looking for that. But that's that's where I'm coming from, that the Golden Duplex is just so confusing and the demolition ordinance should be absolute and clear that in any case if, if there's a rent controlled a, an affordable unit that it should be replaced because not to underscore the point but as a matter of public policy and i feel very strongly about this it creates such a perverse incentive we don't want to maintain old dilapidated housing that should be torn down and replaced with more appropriate cleaner safer transit oriented more energy efficient housing for more people we want that's a good thing we just don't want to lose the affordability we have and as this community have set a public policy of protecting but the way it is now if we don't enforce the demolition ordinance if it isn't strengthened it creates a situation where to preserve two affordable units you forego 10 units that could be rented and 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 they don't exist yet but there's a there's a loss not only of those units but also of the other units and we're not going to get out of our housing crisis unless we build things and we're not going to get out of our affordability crisis by replacing our affordable units with unaffordable ones. Thank you. Can you go to the next slide? Okay, I'm going to continue going through the presentation. Um, the next slide just focuses on those projects that um, are proposing less than one-to-one -one replacement with BMR. So the ZAB approved projects, um, there has been no change um, in any of the other projects other than the addition of um, the two new projects that I spoke about earlier. So just taking aside the larger projects, there's a total of 15 units that, um, a net loss of 15 units in these um, five projects. And again, two of those are, include the golden duplex and the property the chair mentioned where it was vacant for over 10 years. And therefore planning staff said it wasn't a protected unit and you know, did not deserve the extra requirements of replace, you know, replacement with BMR units per state law. Next slide. Can I ask, so wait, the, the only new one that is the, uh, the one that's under review, is that right? Correct. That is the golden duplex. So there are two projects under review um, that propose less than one. One is at 2300 to 2310 Ellsworth. That is has a complete application, but they haven't got it in front of Zab. I've talked to the developers. They are working through some um, environmental issues. Um, planning staff thinks they they need to do further environmental review, which they don't want to do. So it's kind of held up the project. 
Um, so that's the one. The other is the golden duplex or historical golden duplex at Haskell Street, 1330 Haskell. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't need to go through a rabbit hole again, but the updated demolition ordinance is supposed to get rid of that 10-year carve-out. The 10-year carve-out for... If, it, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a previously controlled unit was unrented for 10 years. Oh, yeah. It says all residential units need to be replaced. So there's so, no... Right. So our yeah. hope... Because our hope with... Not, Matt, if I'm getting in trouble here on switching agenda items, please let me know. But our previous presentation was about a new law, which is a vacancy tax, the goal of which is to get long-term units to sell or rent. And I just want to make sure that that is going to probably lead some property owners to make new choices to sell or rent or invest in their teardown properties. So we're not going to, we're not, we're not anticipating one law creating an incentive to tear down and replace while they're not protected. The new proposal is that any of the units that would be potentially having been long-term vacant and pushed on the market from that would be protected now under the new proposal from planning so that we wouldn't be losing them as, is that my, is that the correct understanding? Yeah. I mean, my understanding of the current proposal is that any residential unit, so it doesn't matter if it's been vacant for one year or 10 years has to be replaced per the requirements. So one-to-one -one replacement with BMR any tenants get all the protections of the existing ordinance. We don't even look at the rent control history, except as I mentioned, if there's a ninth, if it's an eight unit building and there's a ninth unpermitted unit, then that's the one. Oh, okay. what do we do with that one? Thank you, Leif. I mean, you're, it's simplicity itself, and you were being very clear. I just wanted to make sure that okay. I wasn't confused. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Can we move on to the next slide? Oh, we are already there. Okay. This is. Um, just there's one project that's closest to construction. Um, the Haskell project is scheduled to go to the ZAB at the end of this month. So that could quick, a, a, a duplex demolition could move really fast if that's approved. So that may end up going faster than the Durant project. All tenants have moved out in that. Um, all the other projects um, are in various stages, but none of these have really gone forward yet. Um, we've spoken to three long-term tenants interested in taking advantage of all their rights. Um, temporary move out, move back in. Um, one of these is at the Ellsworth project. The other two are at a the Haste project. Um, but on the Durant, you were saying that the tenants have moved out of the Durant project. Are those planning? Is that what you the yeah, details you were just none giving? of the tenants in Durant. Um, are interested in moving back in, some accepted buyouts. Um, there was one student that I helped out with who I connected to EBCLC who had an additional semester to finish up and she was able to relocate, relocate to another unit under the ownership of that developer and finish out her degree. Were you able to get any of the income of those tenants? Um, no, I was not, but at, at this point I wasn't asking for income. The only time I would ask for income is when we refer them to EBCLC because there's that we ask for income to inform them 
um, on the referral form. It sounds like one of the things we need to do is be asking that at least because that's another way for us to capture that they need to be replaced one for one, especially if people are moving by agreement, they may be waiving all their rights or saying it yeah. was voluntary or whatever they do. No, no I agree with that. Um, unless the demolition ordinance is modified, then we won't have to. Your lips to God's ears. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, where was I? Oh, just to explain, um, I've discussed with planning on how this will work. And they normally look to the rent board to sign off on the tenant conditions. And we've, I've proposed to them that we should have a signed relocation agreement with both the tenant and the owner on it prior to the approval of the building permit. Um, so the, on the one project this was discussed on Hayes, planning was amenable to that. So that's what we will be proposing to planning going forward. So that will really stop the um, just cause for eviction ever coming into play because we'll have a relocation agreement prior to building permit. Um, Do so even if planning um, proposes that, can ZAB ignore it and not require it? I mean, it's in the conditions of approval, so that they have the rights to relocation. It's really the question of the mechanics. I mean, so we really like that to all be wrapped up before they do permit approval. And that condition is prior to permit approval. So typically they just look to to ramp board and the planning staff ramp board to sign off that they've met the condition and I ask for the documents to verify. So, I mean, that's the plan going forward, but it is true that we are just advisory to planning and, you know, we're really relying on them to ask us have they met this condition or not. Yeah, I just wonder if we, I mean, my experience is you can have people on ZAB who just you know, I was rabid about there shouldn't be any limitations on people being able to yeah. demolish and they'll totally, you know, they can get an easy majority if you've got a lot of yeah. subs. So I don't know if there's some way, I mean, I don't want people to have to spend their evenings watching these ZAB meetings, but I, I'm just nervous yeah. because they don't have a city attorney there. People come up with crazy ideas and alternatives to what's proposed. No, no, I, we intend to be there at every demolition project going forward, even the golden duplex, because even in that project, we're proposing conditions be added in case the owners re-rent before they demo, then all these tenant protections come into play. So that we've recommended that planning propose that to the conditions. So as long as right now planning staff are adding the conditions that we propose for the tenant protections. So as long as they're added and the ZAB don't remove them, then there's no issue with this. But, it, you know, we'll be there to see if they do remove them, and then we can report it to the board for next steps. Great. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, just that we've been working with planning staff on improvements to the notice process. I mentioned this in December. The, the primary improvement is for the applicants to notice the tenants prior to submitting the application. We have a notice form that we've drafted internally. I shared that with the zoning officer. They wanted it modified so it could be project specific, have the project address. And in modifying it, I, it determined that it had to be tenant specific. So each tenant would get a separate one. 
and we've um, made a few, we've made those amendments and set it back to planning staff for review. So we will have to modify it a little further if the demolition ordinance is re revised. Okay. Next slide. Thank you. Okay, so this goes over what we've been talking about, the demolition ordinance. Um, it, it requires mitigation fee as the primary replacement uh, mitigation, but then it says, oh, if you don't pay that, you can do an in-lieu affordable fee. Planning is, has not been enforcing this for um, basically because the council never set those levels and the city attorney's office was not was saying that planning staff couldn't enforce this. And then the SB 330 requirements really became the main tool to get um, BMR replacement units as envisioned in the demolition ordinance. So protected units, which are rent controlled or low income, must be replaced at the same or lower income category, but then um, the um, state law also references the HUD's um, Comprehensive Housing Affordable Strategy Database, or CHAS database, and that provides a path where developers can replace these um, protected units with a variety of income levels, including market rate, and that's how we reach the problem where we're not getting one-for-one -one replacement. Um, like the Dwight Project had seven BM, um, BMR units and one market rate, the state law says anything anything that's required to be replaced 80% or above can be replaced at market rate and anything lower at specific 30%, 50%, and 80% AMI levels. Yeah. <laughs> but just to reiterate, the current proposal from the Planning Commission would require one-to-one -one replacement and this option would no longer um, meet the requirements of the demolition ordinance if council passes it um i just wonder if we need to talk about what we need to do to make sure i don't know if we have such a shift on the council i'm just worried about our ability to get these passed i mean i i can't count to five that will care about who lives in things yeah well um yeah anything else <laughs> um can you go to the next slide amy i mean just as i said we'll continue to monitor we'll attend the zab meetings for these projects going forward we're monitoring the planning commission's um recommendation We'll be looking for when it goes to council and when planning published there the final language that's being recommended to council um and we will keep the board updated um next slide amy and this is just the the spreadsheet that's attached goes project by project number of existing units number of tenant occupied units and as projects come in we will continue to update this sheet and provide it to the board whenever there's a change Next slide. So I think we had a lot of questions during the presentation, but if there are any more. Uh, one, I just wanted to thank you for your work on this. It's been, I think, tremendous. And as, as there are many questions tonight, Abby would already gotten many other answers. 
it's a very complicated set of things. So not just for you and Matt, but our whole legal team, it's really great for us as everyone, but you know, the chair not being a, a legal expert, it lets us be effective policymakers. And I appreciate that. Um, I would ask that we are updated. You know, the chair can, or the executive director is able to email us outside of meetings information. And I would ask that we be provided a status update in between meetings, if it's going to go to council or a council committee, so that we're aware of that in our roles as elected officials. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you. I think this is a really important issue that's very solvable, and it's good to see this work happening. It may be challenging to to finalize it, but it it wouldn't be at this place without the work of our legal team, and not just because of our expertise, but because. Um, folks don't understand this work and it's not just about supporting planning but it's also about fact checking and looking at all the little changes and the ways in which they in a very complicated zoning ordinance they go together and i just i think this is really superb staff work thank you thank you thank you um we were going to talk about the visit but i think because of time we'll keep going unless any i was going to include that in my we went to the to the building it's fabulous very excited especially like the floor treatments <laughs> um okay moving on to recommendation to adopt resolution 2403 amending remport staffing um executive director so um yes one i would like to um address before it is addressed by someone else again that this was a to be delivered so you all um didn't have the um, ample time to thoroughly go through this. Um, this is coming from a recommendation from the Budget and Personnel Committee, um, where this was brought to them as it relates to um, modifying the staffing model to include um, some changes within the PIU unit of a classification of a CSS1, as well as a community development project coordinator, in addition to adding um, executive um, support uh, as an assistant um, staff um, admin. With these positions, there's no financial impact and they are able to be covered through cost savings through fiscal year 2024, 20, 20, excuse me, 2425. So I, I, I ask that you all consider this recommendation and consider this request to modify the staffing model. And Commissioner Albert. Um, yeah, so in terms of the thank you for bringing this uh, forward um, in terms of the executive support position one of the things that we discussed at the budget and personnel committee was that it is a position that is unique to the board and um, that therefore currently the pull it up in here where is it here yeah there we go no here it is um, so it's a currently an unrepresented classification. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, partially that's because there is no other, it doesn't exist. No one is currently filling this position. Correct. Um, so I was hoping that, um, when we approve this, we could request that you engage with HR and the, you know, bargaining units that we represent. And it seems to me that's probably most appropriate for either local one or, um, CSU. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we could uh, engage with HR and CSU, we'll, you know, we can approve it tonight. But authorize you to engage with them about um, bringing it into one of those bargaining units. Yes. Okay. Um, and then my other question was about um, 
with the changes to the um, to the PIU unit, um, I understand that there's been a lot of back and forth with the 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 union in that situation as well, and so wanted to make sure that we just crossed all our T's and dotted all our I's with them, um, and so was hoping to authorize this change tonight, but with the understanding that we'd go and engage with one more round of meet and confer with them about that change. Yes, we are always willing to engage with the union. We will pursue to do that. Um, so then I'm prepared to make a motion if that'd be appropriate. Yes. Um, so then I want to move to adopt the uh, resolution um, as is presented with the, uh, what, what the I don't, what, okay, hold on, let me just make sure I have this all correct. I don't think we need to change anything in the resolution. Um, so the motion will be adopt the resolution as written while um, directing the executive director to engage with HR and the city's labor units on uh, the classification of the administrative staff assistant position. Mm -hmm. And uh, specifically with the public information unit, um, we're approving it pending uh, additional meet and confer with the union. For a point of clarification, is it the expectation just, again, to establish a meeting? Yes. Okay. I'll second. That was, we got a second, but did you want to speak? Yeah. So um, I think it was Commissioner Walker, if it wasn't clear. Um, I appreciate the comments by the vice chair. I would say that I would be, in, I mean, I don't want to amend your motion. I think the sense of the board is very clear, but in this motion, my expectation is that the ex executive assistant position be, be union, whatever is necessary for that to occur. I realize it's a new classification unique to the board, but it's an administrative support position and it's very anywhere else in the city, if that was an existing classification, it wouldn't be a, we would just do it. So um, I think that these are very important and welcome staffing changes. I think that, um, I think the executive director has very much demonstrated that when she has any additional capacity, she makes very good recommendations for the agency. So if this is a role that allows her to be more effective, I think it's essential. I think too often we're afraid to provide the support that's necessary for people to have the resources they need to focus on what they're best at. And that is administrating the agency, not necessarily doing administrative work. Um, I, I, I would be remiss as an elected official if I didn't say I am frustrated and disappointed that this wasn't brought to those of us on the board who are not on the personnel committee with more notice. Um, I do understand that there are at times extenuating circumstances and the nature of personnel being directed by a board and an agency. And in light of how slow the city hiring process can be and how challenging it can be for us to access those resources. I am prepared to vote for this tonight, but it will be the only time that I'm prepared to vote for a personnel matter on the first night that it's presented. Um, I have absolute respect for our personnel committee. These changes, though new to me, are not outside of what the executive director has been sharing with us about our vision. And I do think, not to be long-winded, underscore what is good about the direction the agency is he heading in. No reservation about these changes. I would also just like to note 
on the um, change in the classifications, I think that is essential. Our agency, as we just said to our legal staff, is so complex. And at some point, many people in this agency are going to retire. And there's not a lot of backup. Creating the ability for advancement is good for retention. Creating the ability for advancement is good for recognizing the hard work and separating classifications so that people can be rewarded and promoted and receive training and resources. I think it's essential. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not only prepared to support that, but I think it's a very um, important change, not just for the functioning of the agency, but for our long-term health. I've seen elsewhere in departments, I've been part of them myself and other jobs where when there's only one role, you know, the option is either you stay in a, in a classification that you're maxed out in or you leave. Mm -hmm. And for the rent board, having people leave is a unique challenge. And we're just now getting to a staffing model where we're kind of stabilized in that capacity. And so I really just want to appreciate the executive director's thoughtfulness in bringing that forward. And I think that's something we should consider also. Thank you. Thank you. Um, any other comments? Should we move to a vote? Um, Vice Chair, could you restate the motion, please? I want to make sure that I've captured it correctly. Yes. Um, so let me just make sure that was correct. Or I can read you what I have and you can correct me, whatever yeah, you prefer. That'd be, that'd be okay, so adopt resolution 2403 as written um, <clears throat> and direct the executive, the executive director to engage with the city and relevant bargaining units to incorporate the administrative staff assistant classification into the city's civil service and then I blanked on the city's civil service um, system, for lack of a better word. I think, yeah, well, it's already in the city's civil service system. It's specifically about the the um, representation bargaining. The yeah, because right now it's just the languages, the bargaining unit that engage them on bringing it into one of the unionized classifications. Okay, the unionized units. <clears throat> So adopt resolution 2403 as written and direct the executive director to engage with the city and relevant bargaining units to uh, modify the administrative staff assistant classification to be included in, uh, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I need your help. To be included, yeah. Yeah. A unionized bargaining unit. Yeah, just to sorry, be sorry, what, what part? A unionized bargaining unit. Is that is that redundant? Unionized bargaining unit. No, because currently it's in the unrepresented bargaining unit. Got it. Yeah. Okay, unionized bargaining unit. And then, um, yeah. Okay. And then you have this part about PIU. No. Okay. So please, can you can repeat that? Yeah, and so then, and then additionally, we're you know adopting the resolution pending. For the specifically for PIU pending an additional meet and confer with the union, pending additional meet and confer with the union or the PIU classification specifically. Yeah, meet and confer. Okay, great. Ready for a roll call? Yes, please. Okay, Albert. Aye. Elkstrand. Yes. Uh, Johnson. Yes. Commissioner Johnson, are you still with us? Uh, I still am. Uh -oh. um, I can't hear you. Amy, just so you're aware, we've lost our monitors. I don't know if that's related. 
Yeah, probably is. I was not aware. Um, I'm just going to skip over Commissioner Johnson um, just for the time being. Um, Kelly? Aye. Martinak? Yes. Mizell? Yes. Uh, Walker? Yes. Same issue. Okay. Uh, Simon Weisberg? Yes. So uh, the motion carries. Um, since we are unable to hear Commissioner Walker and Commissioner Johnson's vote, I have to mark them as absent, but I will make a note that they were present but inaudible due to technology issues. Okay. Nothing has changed, so <laughs> not quite sure why this keeps happening. Okay. Um, do we have enough? <laughs> has anyone voted? Yes. The motion carries 6003. Okay. Um, okay, um, let's move. So we can't interact with the other two folks. Uh, I will have to call the BUSD director again or reset the Crestron. Those are my only options at this point. The, the IT director who manages this, this building and this technology um, was not able over the phone to diagnose the issue. He had me try a few things and reset and it worked. I can try that again. I guess what I would like to, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, yeah, off. Uh, what I'd like to propose is I know we have um, the uh, project manager, Basil Lucky, still here. I would like to have him do his presentation since he's been here for three hours. Um, and I apologize to our colleagues who aren't. Back and we can have both to the commissioner Walker and Duncan can have a check. Sorry. No, I'm just going to put that doing the popping over again. Do we, can we add just. We just reopen the attachment to cast the bell. We don't need to redo the whole thing. No. Okay. Sure. I, is that all right? Mm -hmm. Matt, do we need a motion to reconsider? A motion to reconsider the very the 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 past vote. Yes, just so Commissioner Johnson and well, all you need to do is to um, have a motion to allow them to submit their vote. Okay. Do I need to move in a seconder for that? Uh, yes. Okay. So moved. But then, yeah. do we have to vote on them? 
I believe that the votes that were uh, um, the, the, here were already lodged. What we're doing is we're just, sorry, did I miss something? Mm -hmm. Okay, no. so we're just allowing the two people who were disconnected to have the ability to vote on the matter. I know, my question is, are we motioning and voting or just motioning? Yes, you need to motion to have, you need to make a motion to allow them to submit their votes and then vote on that and then have them vote. I second Soli's motion. Okay, so it's been moved and seconded to allow uh, Commissioner Walker and Commissioner Johnson to cast their vote for item, the staffing model item 9B. Uh, Alpert. Aye. Elkstrand? Yes. Here we go. Johnson? Yes. Excellent. Kelly? Yes. Martinak? Yes. Mizell? Yes. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg? Yes. Motion carries. All right. Um, this is the vote on the staffing model changes, item 9B. Um, Commissioner Johnson, your vote? Yes. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Walker, your vote? Yes. Okay, so the new vote tally is um, 8001, motion carries. Thank you very much, glad you're back with us. Now we are on to item 9C. So the, this is for the amended retention records retention schedule. As you all are aware, in the last board meeting, you passed a resolution to amend our um, retention schedule. I need to bring this back to you all because there were some um, numerical changes that were minor that we needed to make to this so that it was um, in alignment with uh, the policy and with the um, the city's um, loss right now. Oh gosh, our file trail system. Um, it was out of alignment um, without consideration of our previous retention schedule. So again, these are um, these are really numerical changes for the most part, um, making sure that uh, it was in alignment with our previous um, schedule that we had, and we were a little bit out of sync with it when we brought it to you the first time. There are no other major considerations. There are no major um, additions to this. Again, just making sure that the um, retention um, items as far as the numerical and where they sat and making sure that we included what was previous on the uh, retention schedule they had were in alignment with each other. So the resolution has not has not changed other than to include that updated amended numbering schedule. Okay. Does anybody? Yes, Commissioner. I don't know, real fast. Um, Bajana, is there going to be anything in here, any new record created that will only be stored? as a physical copy or will all new records be, even if we're saving a physical copy, will they also be digitally stored? Yeah, digitally. There are no new records that are gonna be physically stored in their electronic. Fantastic. Then as a secondary point, which I need to actually say here because it's the public meeting, is given that digital data can be lost, mm -hmm. it's harder to lose than physical data. I would ask that, you know, I don't think we need to amend it in language tonight, 
but I'd ask that the executive director with your authority develop a policy to require that all of our digital archives have a physical digital backup created on a regular basis, which is stored offline and separate from the physical backup stored by the city and separate from the premises of the rent board office, which ensures that should we ever be subject to a ransomware attack or some catastrophic emergency that involves, you know, a massive fire or flood that affects multiple city buildings, that the rent board records are preserved offsite. That is hopefully not the case, but the um, ransomware is a very real thing that has hit many municipalities. And um, it's so easy to avoid by having something like that, where at least if there's any future problem, we do have that that snapshot in time on an annual or semi-annual basis. Thank you. I have recorded your recommendation and we'll look and then make sure that we put that forward. Great. Um, does anybody want to make a motion? So moved. Thank you. Second? No, no, I mean, are you I, 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 I'm seconding, yes. Great, thank you. Uh, can we do a roll call vote, please? Um, I'm going to have to ask Commissioner Kelly to restate that if you want that included in the motion. Yes, I no, I don't need to put my what I said in the motion. That was just a request to the executive director. So I just move my motion was meant to move just the adoption of the revised records retention uh, schedule as submitted by the executive director. Excellent. Sorry, and that was um, moved by Kelly. And was there a second? Yeah, I had seconded. Thank Thanks, you, Commissioner Elkstrand. Uh, ready for a roll call vote? Yes, please. Alpert? Aye. Elkstrand? Yes. Johnson? Yes. Kelly? Yes. Martinak? Yes. Mizell? Yes. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg? Yes. Motion carries 8001. Great. Okay. Um, we are moving on to the information announcements and articles. Um, we have the copy of the letter to the UC Berkeley Chancellor um, and UC Berkeley Police Department by Commissioner Mazel. Would you like to say any words about that? Very brief. Um, I've not heard any response to my letter. Um, it seems fairly clear to me the UC leadership has no interest in addressing what took place beyond PR statements, which is disappointing. Um, I encourage folks to read the article, the article in the nation, other the nation article came out kind of discussing some of what's taking place. Um, I'll keep folks updated, but I think the effects on students and renters needs to be acknowledged and, you know, hopefully that's something that will change soon. Thanks. Thank you. Yes. This is an information item. Yes. So I could move it to an action item. Yeah, I think you had to do that at the beginning. When we change the move around the agenda, no? Yeah, you'd have to reopen a vote in order to change the vote, to, to change the agenda. That's fine. Then I would, as an informational request, like to request that the chair informationally, as chair in her individual capacity, transmit a letter on her own behalf to the UC Berkeley administration that as the chair of the rent board is an individual, she thinks that they should respond to the commissioner's letter. I think that it's very well stated. I think it's very appropriate. And I appreciate that though the development at People's Park is an incredibly challenging and divisive issue, I think it's incredibly appropriate that the commissioner has drawn attention not to 
the development, but to the, the unlawful, illegal, unwarranted, unprecedented, unacceptable actions of state law enforcement and UCPD to, without consequence, accost, detain, and illegally force for identification residents of our city who voted to elect us, who we represent with no consequence, no remorse, and no accountability from the city. Thank you. I, I will do that. <laughs> well said. Informationally. 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 <laughs> okay. Um, moving on to the eviction moratorium update. Nate, I hope you've got some wine in a mug oh. or something. <laughs> all right. Good evening, commissioners. Can you all hear me okay? We can. Okay, good. Um, I'll keep this very brief. Uh, at the January meeting, we had reviewed the eviction data to date. Um, I promised to come back tonight with a snapshot of what the eviction data looked like prior to the moratorium. So I'm going to share some slides now. You all can let me know that you can see those. We can. Okay, great. Okay, um, so we're going to review the data. Um, much of it is the same from last month with some updates for the February numbers and then look at the average of evictions uh, prior to the eviction moratorium. Um, and I'll just cut to the chase and say that we are actually at lower levels of eviction notices the last few months than we than we have been prior to the moratorium. So um, moving forward here, again, this is a recap of the eviction data from September 1st, 2023. That was the, the first day um, since the eviction moratorium ended to present. Um, you'll see here the numbers, while quite high in September and October, um, as a lot of landlords were submitting notices that they could not um, have submitted during the moratorium, the, the numbers have, have tapered off quite, quite drastically. Um, and going to prior to the eviction moratorium, um, you'll see here that on average, these were, I looked at the eight months from July 2019 until February 2020, the eviction moratorium went into place in March of 2020. On average, the rent board received um, 64.5 um, notices per month. And just to remind you all, you know, our, our role is to notify tenants who are served eviction notices of what their rights and resources are through the rent board, eviction defense center, and others to better prepare themselves um, and to respond to the eviction notices. So in terms of capacity and our role of processing letters um, and engaging with tenants facing evictions, um, at this point in time, it is, it is less than it had been prior. So um, let me just exit the, sorry, here the, uh, can you see the notes section there with the, the numbers? Yes, we can. Okay. So yeah, like I said, um, on average, it was during the during the months of September through February of this year, um, on average, 64 and a half. Um, but since November, so November, December, January, and February, it's only been 40 a month. Um, when you look at the data from prior to the moratorium, it was about 48, almost 49 a month. So 
we're just under the last few months, we've been just under the eight month average prior to the moratorium. And again, from a capacity standpoint, um, we don't have the additional strain that we, we had in September and October um, due to the high influx of eviction notices. I think we weathered that storm very well. Um, we were able to get notices out on time, track the data, make referrals to the eviction defense center, engage with tenants calling the rent board about eviction notices and what recourse they had um, to respond, et cetera. And at this point, yeah, we're, we're we're at numbers that are you know a little a little lower than the average before the moratorium went into place, um, and I feel like our staff team is in a good place to continue. You know, as long as there aren't any unexpected influxes or or surges in these numbers, which, um, as I understand, the board wishes to see. You know, these reports will be given through the evictions committee, um, and I will of course work you know collaboratively with Ali and our legal team. To continue to track the data, and I'm sure you all will want, you know, the updates from EDC and EBCLC about their representation in these cases. But um, from from a public information unit standpoint, and the work that we do, um, I think we're in good shape in terms of the amount of staff resources um, that we need to apply to to this project and um, what we do to stay in day out with counseling tenants. So, with that, I'll stop the share and see if there's any questions. Um, can I ask a question? Can you put the um, the slide up for what the evictions are now? Yes. All right. Um, so this was from before. So it, I'm just wondering if, because when you look at October, I mean, obviously those are the notice numbers versus notice numbers, but not evictions versus evictions, right? Okay, yeah, thank you for bringing this up. So it's it's the total number of notices. So in September, there was a total of 146 notices, and six of those were unlawful detainers. In October, it was 81 total notices, and 10 of those were unlawful detainers. Um, and and then go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. When you're comparing them to previously, mm -hmm. the notices, yes. um, you don't have handy, I assume, the, the number of evictions. And also the... Because it seems like one we're starting in September and then the other one is in July. I'm just wondering if you com compare September to a September. I mean, September is unusual, but let, let's say, um, you know, November of 2023 and November of um, 2019. What would okay. it, what would it let's see. So in November of 2019, there were 38. In November of 2024, there's 2023, there were 36. Yeah. So then 57 in December compared to 45 in December. Um, and then January, there were 33 this year, this January. In January 2020, there were 64. Um, February of 2024, there were 34 thus far. That does not include this. Um, See this. We get there are thirty eight in, in twenty twenty. So one other thing I'll point out here is this does not. This is the total notices. This is not the unlawful detainers. Um, our the way we can generate reports now in in three DI and the way we've been tracking data allows us to differentiate between total notices and unlawful detainers. Unfortunately, the 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 way the data reports. Um, from our previous system, it's just notices period. So 
without having to, without, you know, being able to go through each month and take a, a, a much closer look at each of these. And really I'd have to pull up each address um, and the notice to determine if it was an unlawful detainer or a three-day notice or other uh, just standard uh, prerequisite eviction notice. Um, not able to extrapolate that data, but I, I do really want to focus on that our role in the PIU, whether it's an unlawful detainer or a, a three-day notice, is to issue the information to the tenant about what their rights and recourse is. That is our main function. It is, you know, and, and make the referrals to EDC or EBCLC. So whether it's an unlawful detainer or another type of notice, we, we use that same process. Um, obviously, EDC and EB, EBCLC who provide direct representation, they are going to have other, um, you know, ebbs and flows of capacity as it relates to, to the work that they do. Um, but I, I want to make that very clear. It's for our role when we're first informed or given copies of eviction notices, um, our role is to, to record those notices in our system and then to get out the information to the tenant household about their, their rights and resources in the community to address the eviction. Great, thank you. Um, have we had any follow-up on, you know, in the past, we had many um, cases where folks were getting assistance from Eviction Defense Center, um, but the landlords had not filed with us. Um, ha have you been able to figure out at all you know, whether there was any explanation to that, do we think that that's typical um, or was that an unusual situation? So, so you mean where the, the landlord did not submit copies of the notice yet EDC and EBCLC are working with the tenant household? Right, my recollection was that, I don't know, they, they were representing over 25 people mm -hmm. from Berkeley and only 13 of them were um, had been provided to us. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't have, you know, more than what I offered last month in terms of um, their reporting. They just gave us that those hard data numbers. Um, I believe that under their contracts, they report, is it quarterly to the eviction committee or, or maybe it's just annually? But um, I, I know that the board and, and the evictions committee in particular is uh, interested in hearing their reporting and getting, you know, data directly from them. And I think it would, it would be good to pursue that, um, you know, in the evictions committee, because I, I, I don't have the, the details on the summary of their cases or, or the work they do that that's mostly, um, you know, monitored through the legal department um, and the folks who monitor their contracts. So it's, it's, I guess, more of a compliance issue. I was just, I'm concerned that I was shocked to hear that more than half of the people who were being evicted, they hadn't provided it to us. And I, I mean, this is one of the issues because the court data is not um, easily accessible that we don't really know what it, this is all um, voluntarily given to us in a way, like we, we haven't been able to confirm it. And that was one of the times where we did. Um, so I think that that's something that we, we need to figure out about that. Um, so, I mean, I'm fine with it going to the committee and having the committee figure that out. Um, you know, we have in the past gotten the data information from the court. I think that that we need to resume requesting that data from the court. Um, any other questions? Commissioner Kelly? Yeah, the chair's points are very well taken. Uh, Nate, I don't need an answer. This is more of a request that staff looks into this or the commission 
the committee discusses it further. But it seems to me that perhaps some, I know there's some attorney-client privilege issues with uh, East Bay Community Law Center being able to like convey to us in real time who their clients are, but we pay them and they're our service provider. And I know from my own experience working with lawyers that there's absolutely the ability of a client to waive that privilege. And I would encourage us to consider whether that approach or some other approach where as part of their standard intake for uh, folks we're compensating them to assist in Berkeley, if they could ask people to sign a waiver that would allow them to share the status with us or some other method, I think that there is a real benefit to the tenants that we protect to have that real-time relationship. And I think it's a solvable issue if we think creatively. I mean, I don't, I don't think any tenant really wants to secretly file a, a request for assistance with East Bay Community Law Center. I think they're hoping to get as much support as possible. And I hope that there's some way that we can make that not be an issue ongoing because I don't I don't think it's necessary. I think there is a solution for it. And I just would encourage the committee to look into that. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions or thoughts? Um, thank you so much, Nate. Um, it's, I think, been very informative. Um, are doing this during the process and you know you can't forget the huge number of notices that Saha served on um the elderly tenants in one of our um affordable properties and I think it really made a huge difference that we were able to see that pattern um any other patterns that you had noted that you want to mention before we move on just nothing yeah Nothing, nothing that um, as significant as, as the Saha numbers. Um, we do still continue to receive quite a few notices um, at the 1300 Delaware property. I know the board had taken interest in that property from, I believe, the very first report I had given. Um, I'm not sure if anyone has uncovered anything, but it, it in terms of like tenant, you know, action or tenant um, cooperation in, you know, some type of opposition to the landlord and management, but that property every month has several notices. So I, we still don't quite know what's going on or why that pattern exists at that property, but um, pretty significant number of eviction notices uh, being issued there to a relatively medium density sized um, housing complex. So have you inquired with EBCLC or EDC to see if they've received any inquiries? Because I'm assuming we haven't. I'm assuming we've had no contact. Right. No, we haven't. Okay. So maybe you could inquire. Yeah. This has come up a number of times and I realize we have limited staff, but again, not directing, just asking for you all to consider whether or not we should send a letter from staff saying we've noticed a lot of people in this neighborhood. This, can we just send a letter asking people if there's a problem or, it's, I mean, I don't see why we can't do that or set or can we send a targeted mailing reminding those that building of their rights as tenants? Um, I mean, that would certainly be fine, but I think that doing some proactive outreach there would be helpful. Thank you. Okay. Um, if there's nothing else, I'm going to move us on again. Thank you. Um, okay. Update on the REM board filing scaling project. Did you want to do that next month? Okay. We'll be moving on then. Uh, update on the REM board office move to 2000 Center Street. I'll make this very, very brief. Um, uh, for those that 
took the tour. Um, hopefully you enjoyed what you saw and, and was able to ask some questions and see our new space. We are um, two weeks from moving in the communication plan um, internally is moving forward to be um, disseminated, disseminated out into the public. However, um, there are, as construction goes, some things that we want to make sure that our timelines are firm before we end up doing that. So no real big updates other than, again, the tour, but it is still moving forward and we will be out of our current building and into our new one before you know it. Amazing. All right, moving on. Uh, deadline to submit agenda items, topics for March's regular REM board meeting, Monday, March 11th by 5 p.m., please. Um, I know that you had. Yeah, I just wanted to share that I'll have an item for us to consider, which is Senator Markley's bill that he introduced into Congress, which would ban hedge funds from owning single family residences, period, not like many or several, but any, and I will be bringing that to us for our consideration. Great. Yes. Um, Commissioner uh, Kelly, I would love to work with you on that because I believe also Commissioner uh, Assemblymember Alex Lee has just introduced a very similar bill at the state level. And so I would love it if we could combine those. Always glad sharing is caring. <laughs> Great. All right. Uh, anything else? Seeing none, moving on to budget uh, and personnel committee update. Um, committee Chair Walker. Yeah, um, we don't have many major updates that wasn't discussed today, um, but we do have, we elected a committee chair and we also, our next meeting is February 23rd at 11 a.m. Great. Uh, Environmental Sustainability Committee. We have not had a meeting since the last uh, full rent board meeting. And uh, like all committees, um, we are skipping March and- uh, Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Our next meeting will be in April. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to just look to folks to see if there are any other updates. Um, since we won't be meeting in March, I'm going to zoom through all of this. And any updates or announcements? Yes. Oh, just that Lyra will be reconvening now that the ballot measure committee okay, is done. Um, probably late March, early April, after consulting with the uh, committee staff on when we will have a committee room available to us again mid-move. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Fantastic. And I'll be very quick. Uh, so the uh, eviction committee did meet uh, this this week. We had a presentation with the uh, executive director of the Bubby Housing Authority, along with a discussion on the eviction updates, which we just had a more comprehensive uh, version of. Our next meeting will be on um, April uh, 23rd. Okay. Um, outreach, do you want to give anything? All right. Um, updates and announcements? Seeing none, any discussion of items for a possible placement on future agenda? Yeah, I'm open if this is more relevant for a committee. I'd love for a suggestion. I want us to adopt a policy around the use of scanned PDFs versus searchable native PDFs. Like I've found that sometimes we have in our packets a scanned PDF of something that the board has produced and it drives me insane. Um, because they are not searchable in the same way. They're not copy and pasteable. They're less accessible to the public. Um, and so just, yeah, 
if anyone had a suggestion about whether that would be a board policy or a committee. I, I would like to hear it. Uh, Vice Chair. I believe I could be wrong. I believe that that was something that we agreed to do as part of the board's paperless agenda policy, making sure that any scan documents were converted to OCR. So if something is slipped through the cracks, please let me know that. And I will, I will get back to the board and let you know if it is in fact, so you wouldn't have to take another action, but thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Okay. Um, if it's not, sorry, okay. through the chair, if it's not in the policy, Amy, could you, as you notify us, just refer that to Lyra. I think that would be the appropriate place for that to go. To Lyra? Yes. Sure. Thank you. All right. Oh. Um, yeah. Sure. Sorry. I do have one announcement that's quite relevant. Um, uh, given the the um, ongoing and rather intractable uh, technology issues that we've been having, I did uh, have a meeting with the uh, director of IT for BUSD and with BCM and um, asked them to present to the board, and they were very happy to do that. Um, that was going to be scheduled for March, and unfortunately, uh, the BUSD director will be traveling on that day, so it will be April. I am, I am just sort of wanting to know, given how disruptive this is, um, they were both willing to meet on another date, and I explained that that would have to be a special meeting. Um, don't need an answer now, but just kind of wanted to get the, a sense from the board as to whether or not you think it's important enough to call a special meeting for that, because it's obviously, uh, it, it's... Well, I guess what I, I mean, rather than having them come and talk to us, I'd rather them ensure that there wasn't a staff person. Like, is that, I mean, I don't need the director, but that regular IT person. Oh, you mean like, to come and speak? No, have them be oh, here. Be here. That's one of the things, that's one of the proposals that I made. And I've asked them both to sort of get back to me about the feasibility of that. But I'd like them to hear that from you. Alternatively, I could present at the Budget and Personnel Committee meeting with sort of what they've told me thus far. And we can take it from there. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, I think a Budget and Personnel, mainly because that's the only committee meeting right. in the month. And I guess my inclination is that um, they need to have somebody here because they're yeah, this doesn't make any sense. Right. Yep. Suggestion for, rather than scheduling a special meeting for them to come and present. But we're not doing a special no, meeting. Rather than, oh. Mm -hmm. Rather than was an important part of it. Um, um, could we have them come to budget and personnel? Because that rather than have them, yeah. Yeah, it's a great idea. Or do we not have to? I, I guess I don't know why we need to have them come. I feel like our staff should be facilitating that. I don't need to drag them in front of us. I would... I, I just want them to, they need to have somebody here during our meetings to deal with this. I, I don't, I don't know why having them talk to us is the next step. Was, was that something we were, yeah. I think it was because their contracts coming before us again, but I agree with the chair that I would think that staff should deal with that and whatever support is needed from us. But I would also like to request that we plan on failure of the technology, which, mm -hmm. This is not a dispersion on Amy or, or staff, but it, it is a real issue. And so I would like us to put in place a plan for the technology to fail at our next meeting and request that there be an additional staffer here uh, beyond Amy, because it's very clear that you can't do two things at the same time. And I think at least temporarily having one of our other folks who are very good at facilitating our committee meetings be here as a backup so that. I think I would rather for staff time, and I mean, I'll leave at the discretion of the executive director, but I, I I would rather them spend money on their people to be here than us paying our staff um, overtime 
to sit next to Amy, don't you think? Well, I don't know how much money we save if we're here two extra hours with, but that's just a thought. Staff never can figure it out. But you know, so, at all the other at all the other agencies I'm on the board for or serve with, the administrative responsibility for running the meeting does not fall on one person because even though our technology here is absolutely challenging, Zoom meetings have problems mm -hmm. and taking minutes is a task and facilitating technology is a task and it can be done at the same time with stress when they are both succeeding, but we can't move forward when one of those doesn't happen. I understand. I mean, I just would like, I'll, we'll leave it to the discussion of the executive director on how to handle that. But I do think that regardless, I would like them here. And if not, I don't want us paying anymore. Yeah. So just for a point of clarity and understanding, I think that in what Amy was speaking about as it relates to their presentation and their conversation to come to the group would kind of be going over all of those things. And I think maybe you may want to consider hearing that and being able to voice that directly to them, as opposed to us being the conduit of the conversation, because an explanation is owed from them to you all. Um, but again, if you don't want to exercise that and it is left up to having a conversation and figuring out a plan, I'm for that. But I do think it would be beneficial if you hear from them collaboratively the issues and if any plan moving forward to fix, you hear it from them to you. I mean, I guess my only concern is it, regardless, I want them to have somebody here next time because Amy shouldn't have to get on the phone and call them. They need to just be here. And then the other thing is I don't really want to bring staff from other, another agency so that I can come and scold them just because it p brings the worst out of me. So if we, we can have them come, but I will take a break during that period because, <laughs> I mean, you see me when I get upset and frustrated, I'm unpleasant. So I don't know. I just feel like that's setting me up to be a goofball. Um, yeah, I can have someone else chair that. <laughs> so I've discussed both of those things with them, but it sounds like, am I hearing that I could just work with the executive director and we can, whether that's a report or um, I agree with, with the executive director, which is precisely why I asked them. I think it's better to hear it from the people who do this for a living um, as opposed to me. And also it was something that Commissioner Kelly mentioned at, at at one of the meetings. Um, again, I just, if if you don't want them to come and present, then I will cancel the arrangement that I've already made for April. Um, frankly, I would like an answer before April because I don't want to go. Yeah, I don't want to wait till April. And regardless for our March meeting, they have to have someone here or we're not, I would like to make a motion. I mean, I'm not making a motion, but I will make a motion that we're not paying them. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is just infuriating. This is every meeting now. Um, but soon we're not going to have to be here anymore because we're going to have our own nice office. All right. Can I make a motion to adjourn? And I'll second it. Thank you. Roll call. All right. Uh, sorry. Simon Weisberg. Alpert. Um, Alpert. Aye. Elkstrand. Yes. Johnson. That was too much time. Yes. Uh, Kelly. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Martinak. Yes. Mizell. Yes. Walker? Yes. Simon Weisberg? Chair? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs>